This morning, I want to ask a question to you all, friends. How many of you have a TV show that you watch that you're slightly embarrassed to admit that you watch? <laughs> a guilty pleasure TV show. If you have one that you secretly like to watch, uh, feel free to put it in the chat. I'm curious if any one of you um, have <laughs> any guilty pleasures uh, TV shows that you know you're not gonna publicly share sometimes that you're a big fan of. Um, for me, I think Mia's laughing because she probably knows this. Uh, I secretly am a fan of The Bachelor <laughs> and Bachelorette franchise. I don't know if any, do we have any Bachelor Nation people in here? I'm just curious. Professional wrestling, yes, I see that, Michael, and I know that. <laughs> I've watched more wrestling since I married you than I have in my entire life. Um, so I don't know if any of you know about the Bachelor and Bachelorette series. Um, the premise of this show is basically that there is one Bachelor or Bachelorette, depending on which season it is, and they are trying to find true love. They're trying to find their, uh, the, the spouse of their dreams and live happily ever after. And the way that they do that is they go on TV and they date 30 people at the same time. And they slowly eliminate people one by one. And by the end, you know, oftentimes there's supposed to be this magical proposal and they have all these magical dates. They travel all over the world and and it's all about this sort of this quest to find true love. <laughs> and yet, if anyone watches the show, for me, obviously, I watch the show really uh, not so much for the true love part of things, but really because there's a lot of drama. <laughs> and in this show, uh, you get to really see the best and worst of humanity come off, uh, come out <laughs> um, as they are dating and trying to find true love, but there's also a lot of competition. Um, imagine, you know, there's 30 guys, a lot of testosterone, all dating this one woman, all trying to prove uh, that they are the worthy suitor, and um, there's a lot of drama. And one of the things that happens every season, whether it's The Bachelor or Bachelorette, is that there's a lead, the, the one person, the Bachelor or Bachelorette, that's kind of going to pick their true love at the end of it. Um, you know, they're trying to figure out who uh, of these, you know, 30 people they want to end up with. And one of the things that always happens in every season without fail is that there's people who will go to The Bachelor or Bachelorette and they'll say, you know, I just wanted you to know that so-and-so is doing this and that. And it's really um, a lot of trying to, to warn in, because I care about you. I, I wanna warn you about this person who's not here for the right reasons, right? And every season there's a sort of thing where um, uh, people are, are talking about each other, they're hating on each other, they're throwing shade behind each other's backs, and they're kind of, um, you know, in this, this, this quest for love that's actually a competition. And so there's opposition that comes out, and there's hate that comes out, and there's gossip. And um, I always think it's so funny because, you know, people will go to the lead in a sort of good intention because I care about you and I want to protect you. I just think you should know. And there's always haters on every season of The Bachelor or Bachelorette. And um, 
I, I was thinking about that this morning because I've been I've been picking up The Bachelorette as a, as a new season came out the last couple of weeks. And um, I think there's a way that in the book of Ezra and in this this very long text that we read today, that this reality comes to life. This is the reality we see uh, a world in which haters are going to hate. The people of God are facing opposition. They're facing um, sort of this the attainting of their reputations. And, and we see what happens as they're trying to build the temple and they face opposition. And we've been in the book of Ezra for uh, I think six or seven weeks now. And Michael and I have been pleasantly surprised by how Ezra has just kept on being relevant. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of these Old Testament books that you maybe have never read before, never heard a sermon series on. I don't think I've ever heard a sermon series on the book of Ezra. And every week we're, we're going through this and it's like, there's some relevant, there's a lot of relevant information. There's a lot of relevant um, lessons to be learned. There's things that are coming up that are um, are really in, in, in tune with the times. And we've been seeing this unfolding saga of the people of God. You know, they were in exile and they've been um, kind of, there was King Cyrus who declared this edict that they could return home. So they do return home. And then they're trying to kind of rebuild um, the community, rebuild the sense of worship. They are reinstituting instituting practices of um, sacrifice and offerings. And um, last week we saw how there were these other people in the land who tried to join in and say, oh, we're worshiping the same God. Let us join you. We want to do this with you. And, and the leaders of the community were like, nah, no, you're not worshiping the same God. No, you're not allowed to join us. This is not going to be good. And in response to that, as um, the people of God are trying to maintain the purity of their worship, maintain the purity of their call, uh, maintain sort of the faithfulness to what God has called them to do, they begin to face some opposition. And we see in the beginning of the passage um, in verse six, Teresa, you can go to the next slide, that it says in the reign of Oh gosh, I totally looked up how to say this name, Ahasuerus. In the reign of Ahasuerus, in his ascension year, uh, the peoples of the land wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. And the peoples of the land, they see what the, the, the people of God are doing, um, the Israelites are doing, and they know that they're starting to rebuild this temple that had been destroyed and sitting in ruins, sitting devastated for almost 70 years. They're starting to rebuild this place that was supposed to ho house, host the presence of God. And, and yet they wanted to kind of participate. They wanted to see what was going on. And they were sort of cut off from that. And so do they do um, what any person would do when they feel threatened? They begin to write an accusation against the people of God. And so what they do is they write this letter to the king and they bring an accusation against the people of Israel. And specifically, um, it says all these things. And it's sort of like the bachelor bachelorette where you know they're going to the lead, they're going to the person with power, they go to the king and they say, oh, look at these people, look what they're doing. May it be known to you that they are doing these things. So in this letter to the king, there's these few um, accusations that come and it says, may it be known to you that these Jews who came up from you, they are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. That rebellious and wicked city, right? There's already judgment there. There's already a tainting of reputation there. And they're finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. So they're sort of slandering the name of these people. They're saying this rebellious and wicked city to the king. And then they say, may it be known to the king that if the city is rebuilt and the walls are finished, they will not pay tribute, custom, or toll. 
they're not going to give you their money and the royal revenue will be reduced. And then it says, may be known, we make known to you that if this city is rebuilt and its walls are finished, you will then have no possession in the province beyond the river. Basically saying like you, your empire, your territories are going to be threatened. Your reign, your rule um, is going to be threatened. And so in this letter, uh, the, the, the people's the inhabitants of the land surrounding um, Israel, they're, they're throwing all these accusations. They're trying to taint the reputation. They're trying to really um, sort of um, sabotage this effort to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the city of God in Jerusalem. May it be known, may it be known, may it be known. And it's interesting to me that in doing the work of God, these people, they were, they were doing what God commanded them to do. Um, God had said and promised and prophesied that they would return from um, exile, that they would go back home, and they would rebuild this temple that lay in ruins. And as they're trying to be faithful to God's work, as they're trying to restore worship of Yahweh, they're trying to re rebuild and restore the covenant with Yahweh, um, this community becomes a threat to the, to the Persian Empire. In their quest to be faithful to God's commands, they are threatening to the face of empire. And these surrounding people, they don't like what they see. They bring forth complaints. They bring forth accusations. They oppose what the people of God are doing. Um, and, and of course, with all of this hate, with all of this um, sort of opposition, the king writes back. The king, in the desire to protect the power, the empire of Persia, the taxes of the empire of Persia, the land of the empire of Persia. This is what the king says. The king says, therefore, issue an order that these people be made to cease, that the city not be rebuilt until I make a decree. And moreover, take care not to be slack in this matter. Why should damage grow to the hurt of the king? <laughs> um, I just saw a funny comment about The Bachelor. <laughs> um, but yes, thank you. Thanks for that. Um, why should damage grow to the hurt of the king? And so the king, in order to protect the power, the profit, the revenue, the property of the Persian Empire, the king says, stop, stop building. Commands that the people of God be thwarted in their building. And all the years that these people spent in exile, spent with their temple in ruins, um, they come home to start rebuilding. They're trying to be faithful and they're stopped in their tracks. They're kept from doing God's work. And the people of God tempor temporarily are thwarted in their building efforts. And I think about this kind of narrative and this, this history unfolding. And I can't just help but think about how um, this isn't the first time that the people of God face opposition as they try to be faithful to God's call. Amen. That all throughout the story of God, we know that faithfulness leads to opposition. That faithfulness is a threat to the powers that be. That faithfulness is actually dangerous to the empires of this world. And we see it with Daniel, we see it with Esther, we see it with future prophets, we see it with Jesus 
So much so that the empire of Rome executed him because he was a threat. We see it with the early church. We see it in the book of Revelation. We've seen it all throughout church history. And we see it with uh, martyrs. And um, every time there's a movement of people trying to be faithful to God's call, to seek reformation, to seek faithfulness, to seek rebuilding, to reclaim the prophetic tradition of God, to reclaim the worship that God intended for God's people, that they face opposition. That as people are called to do God's work, it is a threat to the empires of the land. And yet I want to say this morning that the, the, the call of God does not change. The promises of God do not shift. Uh, when the people of God are called to, to be who they are and called to do what they're called to do, um, those things don't change just because opposition comes. And we will see in the weeks to come that even though the king puts a decree to stop the building, that there's actually an effort that picks up to rebuild. And, and actually, as we continue on in the series, we're going to transition to the book of Haggai to see how that rebuilding effort happens. But as we um, are in this passage this morning, I feel like there's this word and this encouragement and reminder that any time that the people of God are faithful to do God's work, that there's going to be opposition because it disrupts the status quo. It disrupts the powers of the land. It actually is a threat to the rule of empires. And in this political moment and this current moment that we're in, um, as we're thinking about the elections and we're thinking about this current administration, as we think about um, all that's happening in our world and in our nation, um, I, I've been thinking about this, how that just like the king of Persia was feeling threatened worried about the loss of power, worried about the loss of profit, worried about the loss of dominance, worried about the loss even of, of um, sort of dominion and, and sort of territory and land. Um, these dynamics are not new. These dynamics are not new. There's so many pictures, I think, where the people of God um, throughout history and even now in this moment are trying to be faithful and in this faithfulness to God's call, they're facing opposition. They're facing sort of um, a tainting of their reputation, attacks against their character, uh, accusations coming against them because the powers of the land are scared. They're scared that the, the status quo will be disrupted. Um, so I was thinking, for example, about the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, this Black Lives Matter movement that has... Um, I mean, the most current iteration of it, of course, throughout history, we know that there's a lot of um, people who have faithfully protested and faithfully resisted and, and really fought for the dignity um, and the, the, the freedom to live um, for the Black community. And yet, as racism in our country is being exposed, and I think even in this moment since George Floyd and everything that's happened since in these last few months, um, I've been thinking about how much the reputation of these activists, these Black Lives Matter um, activists, people who are in this movement, they just continue to have their reputations tainted, right? Similarly to the people of Israel, that they were called a rebellious and wicked people, a rebellious and wicked city. Um, I think about the Black Lives Matter movement, which is a movement that basically says Black people should be able to live and breathe and move freely in this country without fearing death. And somehow that has been twisted and distorted um, and, and they're, they're being called, um, you know, just violent extremists and terrorists and Marxists and um, evil people, um, despite 95% of protests being peaceful, the, the violence and, and sort of extremism of, of the Black Lives Matter movement has been called out. 
and, and even in the church, there's so many Christians who have condemned the work of this movement. Um, and the truth is, it's because the work of pursuing racial justice and dismantling white supremacy in this country, it has a cost. It means that people and generally white folks uh, may not be able to preserve the power uh, and even the profit that they're used to. And so people who are trying to be faithful, like the Black Lives Matter movement, they're facing opposition, they face hate. And I even think about um, Christians, even in this political moment, there's been so much discourse and so much dialogue and even debate and, and, and sort of polarization in this political moment. But I've been thinking about this because even for myself, I've been facing this where um, in, in a quest to sort of be faithful to what I feel like God has called me to do and, and me to say, um, whether that's standing up for the lives of um, refugees and immigrants, uh, whether that's uh, fighting for the dignity of the LGBTQ community, whether that's um, about, uh, you know, advocating for the end of racism, uh, advocating for policies that will actually bring about life and thriving for everyone. We see that 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 is under attack, that somehow even in the church that um, pe I, I face this and I know others have faced this that in our quest to be faithful, we're called heretics and we're called baby murderers. We're called um, people who are complicit with genocide. We're called um, false teachers and false prophets. Um, and, and the truth is, it's, I think there's a way that the religious right has had a monopoly on power and they've used hot button single issues such as abortion or gay marriage um, to really cause up a lot of uh, dissension and, and to, to, to really taint the reputation um, of people who will actually fight for rights and equality and equity and justice for everyone. Um, and in our pursuit to um, really fight for the dignity of all people, we face hate, we face opposition, we're called names and um, we're attacked. And I was even thinking about um, the, our church as we get ready to build some tiny homes or potentially build some tiny homes on our property. I was thinking about First Press Hayward when they did this, when they had this um, desire to bring tiny homes to their church campus to provide transitional housing for formerly unsheltered people. Think about this. They're providing housing for people who are living on the streets. And they're, they're being attacked by the community. A lot of the neighbors who are just saying, oh, this church is just wanting to build a name for themselves. This church just wants more money from the government. This church is evil. This church is bringing blight to our neighborhood. This church is um, you know, doing this and that. And there was all this attack and all this pushback um, from community members calling them irresponsible and calling them um, selfish and greedy and hypocrites and, and um, just trying to build this empire of First Pres Hayward. They're going to bring down property values. There was all these attacks that came against them. Um, and I'm certain that even we too, as Bethel community, as we start pursuing this, that there's a chance that we will face this kind of opposition. We might face this kind of hate. Um, but friends, I want to say this morning that this sort of opposition and hate that we face as we try to be faithful, this is not new. This is not new. Building the kingdom of God has always meant standing in opposition to empire. Always, always, because we cannot have two masters. We cannot worship both God and money. We cannot worship both Christ and Caesar. We cannot build both God's house and build the empire. We cannot, we can't. And so our faithfulness to God's call 
to build the realm of God, to participate in God's reign here on earth will always mean that we stand in opposition to the powers and profit in the land. Um, and it means that we might face opposition. The choice to faithfully obey God's call and live in covenant with God means that other people are going to feel threatened. They're going to feel threatened. Because dismantling systems of oppression, it means stripping power from oppressors. It means tyrants don't get to just reign on their thrones. It means that we get to challenge unjust laws and that impacts those who benefit from those unjust laws. It means fighting against economic disparity, which means the rich and powerful might lose some of their profit. When we build the kingdom of God, we stand in opposition to empire. And it's always meant that we're gonna face some haters. And yet this day, I wanna remind us that we are called to build. Opposition does not have the last say. Haters are gonna hate, and yet we have to persist. We have to hold on. We have to keep doing the work God has called us to do because our allegiance is to Yahweh, not to any person, not to any political party, not to any other God, not to any other empire. And so even when it's costly, even when we are opposed, even when people taint our reputations, when they say things about us, they attack our character, um, even when there's haters in our midst, we have to continue on and be faithful to what God has called us to do. And so I just want to encourage you all this morning, all of us as a church and all of you as individuals, that in this moment and whatever God has called you to do, whether that's be a teacher, whether that's um, be a minister, campus minister, whether that's to be a parent, whether that's to be faithful in your neighborhood, whether that's to try to seek transformation in your city, whether that's to seek reform nationally, whether that's just dealing with your family, people in your very own family who have different views from you, whatever you've been called to do, as you are faithful to that, you might be facing opposition. And I want to encourage you and say you are not alone but you join in with the history of God's people all throughout time and space who've lived in ways that challenge the status quo, that disrupt the powers that be and uphold God's ways of justice, peace and shalom, even when it means we face some haters, even when it means we face opposition. We get to choose which God we serve. And we get to choose, are we going to bow down and be afraid of the letter and edict of the king? Or are we going to remember the promise of God and carry on and be faithful to that promise? We get to join in with Christians um, and movements throughout history, like the church martyrs, the early church martyrs, or Christian abolitionists, abolitionists in England, uh, in the Americas, or the Catholic worker movement, the confessing church movement in the face of, um, of Nazi Germany, the civil rights movement, the sanctuary movement that sought to, to provide sanctuary for um, asylum seekers in the 80s, the Black Lives Matter movement, the, the, all these examples of people who faced hate and opposition and carried on faithfully to live out the call God had for them. We get to put our faith in God and not listen to or bow down to the words and actions of haters. And so I wanna remind us this day to keep doing God's work Keep being faithful to what God has called you to do. However big, however small it might be, keep being faithful. You will surely face opposition, but opposition means you're probably in the right place. 
because opposition is a reminder that God's ways are not the ways of this world. And yet God will be victorious in the end. And I want to close by just saying this verse from Galatians 6. It says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Do not grow weary of doing good. Do not give up. Haters are going to hate. We're going to face opposition. But Christ is victorious. Amen? Amen. Let us continue on and persist in what God has called us to do, even in the face of opposition. And as we close our time, I want to just lead us in this um, litany. Um, I wrote this litany as I was thinking about this reality that as, as a people of God, we were always going to face opposition and that we build the realm, the kingdom of God in a way that, that, um, that stands in opposition to the empire. And so I want to lead us in this litany and then we're going to continue on in worship. So I will be the one and you will be the many. Okay. Jarena opposes. <laughs> So you can join me um, in this in this litany. Jesus Christ, in this election season, 